0: Warm welcome back, welcome, Rabbi Dr. Bruce Tucker. Yes, good to be
1: home. What a delight to be at Beth El. It's so good to be home. I love the colors. Florida is good. Ten years ago, Rabbi Robert said, somebody's got to go to Florida and do the work of the Lord. So we volunteered and we're so happy to be there. But to come home and see the, the colors on the trees and you know, just be together here tonight, what an amazing time. I want to say uh, thank you to Rabbi Kevin always for the opportunity to come. It's a wonderful thing. You know, I drove into the packing lot tonight, uh, and I heard the engines over there on the side, and I thought, wowzers. He has gotten a beautiful RV for me to spend the night in. <laughs> and then I find out it's a group from Lee University. I want to say hello to all my new friends at Lee University. <laughs> Actually, my heart rate on my Fitbit is about 93 right now. My heart rate on my Fitbit's about 93 right now because I'm really trying to grasp uh, the wonder of what is happening at this moment. I graduated from the university in 1981 with a degree in biblical studies. And it was like, do I mention this or not mention this? And how does this go tonight? And I'm just so happy to renew an experience. Uh, when God talks about being echad, that it brings all things together, and then when God says that he makes us echad, he brings us together in unity, just an amazing experience tonight. Uh, m- most of you do not remember this. I come from the era of uh, French Arrington and Don Battle and Paul Walker, and I'll always be thankful for French Arrington, who was my Greek professor and always taught us and taught me specifically that our new covenant, our new Testament theology is grounded in the scriptures and in second temple Judaism. In fact, he wrote his whole dissertation on that. And if we come to understand that the enormity of it and what's happening in these last days, I'll always be grateful to Dr. Arrington for all the time that uh, he spent with me personally Uh, So he really was a major influence in starting this journey of mine to embrace my Jewish roots. And when my grandmother and my father made it safely out of uh, Germany, they came to a displaced persons camp and then my grandmother and grandfather emigrated to New York. Uh, That's too bad because I'm from Boston area. (laughs) And so I'm just glad to be here tonight. Uh, I saw Dr. Arrington a a couple of months ago. He's 90 years old. Anybody know French Arrington? Anybody ever heard of French Arrington? Or say hello to my friend, French Arrington, and all the folks that may know him. Uh, And we sat and talked about the journey that he kind of set me on. And uh, he currently, at the age of 90, 91, uh, sits in the chair of the restoration of the House of David at the graduate school in Cleveland and we talked about this, and in his book that he's recently written on that, on the restoration of David, uh, he addresses and calls Yeshua by his Hebrew name, Yeshua HaMashiach. And so when he and I talked about what it's like for for us to go 40 years full circle to where I am today, uh, and where the book that he is writing is truly an amazing experience. Hello to all my new Lee University friends, I hope you're having a, a, a wonderful, good time. Because you're in a place of credibility, you're in a movement of credibility. Uh, Jim Coos and Barry Posner wrote a book called Credibility in their business teachings a number of years back. And what they brought out in their book in credibility was that if you want to find something to trust, when you want to find a leader you can listen to, When you want to find a business, you can start. When you want to know what works, look for the characteristic of longevity. Longevity is what brings credibility. The moment can bring madness, but longevity brings light. And Kuz and Posner, who donated all of their materials when uh, I was doing the work in Afghanistan, Uh, donated all of their materials uh, to see things go better in the greater world, that we come to understand that when we are ready to learn, when we're ready to understand that in a growth mindset, as Carol Dweck teaches at Stanford, when we enter life with a learning mindset, then we need to be very, very thankful that when we hit our 60s, and 70s uh, and 30s, and I'm not gonna tell you which one I am. (laughs) But thank God that we always have the opportunity to learn more and adjust. So hello to all my new Lee University friends. Have a great time. Uh, I'm in Daytona Beach, somebody's gotta do it, so if you ever find your way there. But I know tonight that that, uh, we've got a job to do, so we need to get in the zone and do what we're here to do. Uh, today is, as already been announced, the fourth day of the second month of the year, the biblical calendar, 5783. We're also in the first year of an agricultural cycle in the biblical calendar. Uh, the calendar runs in periods of seven years, and every seventh year there's a year of rest, and that's what we studied a lot about last year. And now that we have finished that year of rest and we start the new year, which is a year of planting, planting seed. Uh, symbolically, sometimes we start out of the gate so fast that we need to step back for a moment and ask the question again, how do we continue in the harvest and the rest that the Lord gives us? Our uh, Pasha, our Torah portion this week, is Noah. it's the second one in Genesis, in Bereshit. And it, of course, refers to Noah. And we're going to ask the question tonight, uh, how do we continue in this harvest and rest? How do we continue in this harvest and rest? Why is it so important to learn how, when we're starting out of the gate, and we think we have the promise of everything in front of us, how do we continue in the rest that God promises us to have? And there's a reason, because society is going through storms. The storms of life can really influence us. You know, the, sto- the storms of life can make us passive. Especially in our technological age, we see so much about what's going on in the world today. I grew up in down east Maine, and you know, uh, until they built a bridge in Kittery, Maine, we didn't know anything about the rest of the world. And so you really didn't know any much about the world until you know something really happened that was local. But now in our world, we have so much information that it is impossible, literally, to keep up with it now. And sometimes it can make us passive about life, about moving through life and who we listen to. Uh, it can also make us pout. Sometimes the storms of life can, can make us pout to the place where we just aren't happy about anything. We get the poochy lip disease. 40 years ago, Glenda and I used to sing a song at a congregation, and it was called, it literally was called the Poochie Lip Disease. Any music majors in here tonight, look up the Poochie Lip Disease, it's one of the greatest songs in history to sing to a group of really dignified leaders. Sometimes we can pout. But most often, the storms of life can be very, very punishing. Difficulty. After difficulty after difficulty, and we see, uh, we see the the punishing aspects of the storms of life. Often in countries of the world where there's always been an economic struggle, now, Rabbi Kevin already mentioned Ukraine and the things that are happening there. In a place that that has a lot of struggle, and the storms hit them, and it's like, which way do we go, and what do we do? There's such an instability, and there's such a chaos there. And but then again, you get. A, In our day, you get a country like England, like Great Britain, that is known as the country with the greatest dignity of the world. Uh, The very last act that Queen Elizabeth had politically was to welcome in the new prime minister, Liz Truss, and a few weeks later she's gone. We understand it in the Ukraine and Bangladesh and, and Afghanistan. But when you've got a country like Great Britain that's going through these kinds of, they've got more prime ministers than whack-a-mole at Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) What's going on in England? Uh, Then we have our own storms. Thank you for all your prayers uh, throughout Hurricane Ian. We were on the East Coast, uh, and what happened on our side, our neck of the woods, well, Florida really doesn't have woods, but (laughs) our side of the beach, Was that Volusia County got about 25 inches of rain, and a number of our members in our synagogue, uh, their houses were flooded, they have been displaced, we're working hard to get them back where they needed to be. I, I had a rather uneventful night. We had a burning tree that was wrapped up in electrical wire hanging over our roof for two hours. And the firemen came and they watched over it for two hours. I've never seen firemen in a truck stay in one place so long until it literally snapped and hit our roof. And then they thank you for your prayers. The Lord brought us through the storms. But you may be having your own storm tonight. And what happens in the portion this week is that humanity hits its first really big storm. After God came to humanity and humanity received a call to a life that was intentional, a life that was increasing, uh, to a life that was intimate with God. And they lost all that. When God, the very first verses that we heard last week was. And the Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, hovered over the waters. That's a PL verb. And it literally means he was intent about what he was going to do in the chaos of life. And so he creates this humanity now, and then he gives them a life. And he says, I want you to be intentional about this life. I'm intentional about your life. I want you to be intentional about your life. I want you to increase in your life. I'm going to give you everything that you need, and I want you to increase. But the most important thing is that I want you to be intimate in the relationships that you have in life. So I'm going to create this day. I'm going to call it Shabbat. I'm going to stop what I do. How about if you stop what you do and we just spend a period of time together? And it's amazing that in the allegorizing of this gift of rest, never have we had more freedom to rest and found so little time to have stretches of time with God. And that's why we're here tonight. When it comes to Noah's day, Noah's society is failing. It's failing in this experience that God called them into. But there was one man in that day in the storms of life. There was only one, if you sometimes get confused about all of the number of people that are here on this globe. There was one man who was intentional, one man who was focused on increasing, and above all things, there was one man who was focused on being intimate with God. And so let's go to chapter six, verse nine, as we read from the Torah portion tonight. I'll be reading from the Tree of Life version. These are the genealogies, the Toledot of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless among his generation. Noah continuously walked with God. Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was ruined before God. And earth, the earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth and behold, it was ruined because all flesh, kol all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. So we get a pretty good sense of Noah's day is not that much different than our day. It's not that much different than our day. They came quickly to it. Well, what was Noah like? Noah knew who he was, he knew what was right, and that's why he was a righteous man. Noah knew what he was about. And he wanted to do good things to other people, and so he was blaming in his generation. And Noah continuously walked with God. You know, Noah had to know who he, who he wanted to be and what he wanted to be. Ron Heifetz, in a book by Harvard Business Review, wrote a book recently on adaptive leadership. And in this book on adaptive leadership, he says when you hit a crisis, when your organization hits a crisis, The crisis is not about the change. The crisis is about the identity. When we hit chaos in life, when we hit difficult times in life, when we hit the storms of life, we become more focused on the changes that we're growing through, sometimes with a poochy lip, when When God brings us into these places of change, it's not so much about the change as it is our identity. Who are we? So the greatest work that a leader must do is not so much talk about what we must do as it is talk about who we are. And when we understand who we are and what God calls us to be, then we're going to find our way through the changes. And Noah's way of dealing with this was to walk continually with God. The word here, halach, is, is the word that a lot of folks are familiar with, halacha, which means, a lot of people think it just means the rules, and the laws. But in the Bible, halach has literally the word walk. It's the walk with God. And the way that it's used here when talking about Noah, when it says that Noah continually walked with God, the verb here is a form called hitpa'el, which means it's something I caused myself to do. Noah caused himself to walk with God. And what we have to do and realize in a world of change, in a world of chaos, in a world of storms, is that we have to make a decision about who we are and how we're going to live. And then we cause ourselves to walk in the way we're going. I did a minor in social sciences, in psychology and sociology, and it hasn't helped me at all in the last 40 years. No, it really has tremendously helped me a lot. And I think one of the reasons that it was so impactful in my life back at Lee was a man named Ron Havard, and I didn't know this at the time, but when I sat in his general psych class for the very first time, and he taught, he was passionate about it, he worked hard at it, and uh, he was looking for somebody to drive him to the airport, and so I volunteered. And so I volunteered to drive him to the airport, and he befriended me, and I didn't know that just six weeks before my first class with him, his eight-year-old son had just been run over by a car and killed. He's remained a consistent friend in life. When we hit times like that, we have to understand who we are and make the choice of walking with God. The lexicon will define that word on walking with God as a deliberate and intimate fellowship with someone. And the whole rest of the Pasha, we're not going to go much farther than the Pasha tonight, The whole rest of the pasha is about this intimate fellowship that this one man had with God. When the rest of the society decided to make it another way. And so verse 13 says, And then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh is coming before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of humanity. Behold, I'm about to bring ruin upon them along with the land. Make for yourself an act of go forward. Not only do you cause yourself to make a decision about who you're going to be, but we make a decision on what we're going to do. God did not say, I will build an act for you, Noah. He said, build it for yourself, and I will show you how to get through the storm. There's plenty of reason to have questions in our world about ourselves and our society. The more questions we have about ourselves and our society, the more questions we have about God. And yet Noah found a way through this. And so all the way down in verse 22, it says, so Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. He did so exactly exactly. I think French Arrington probably read that verse when he was teaching us Greek because there was only one way to do it, and it was exactly as he said to do it. Noah had that hat with God. This whole pasha brings about this result of walking with God, and so when we get to chapter 7, verse 1, it says, Then Adonai said to Noah, Come, Bo, come. Everybody say, Come. Everybody say, go. Go. You can translate it either way. But I like this, come, you and all your household, into the act. for you only do I perceive as getting it right before me in this generation. And so he preserved Noah. Noah found a new way to rest in a boat where he couldn't see out. And so our walking leads us to this place tonight, to this these safe places, this, these places of new harvest and rest. When I grew up on the coast of Maine and went out on the boats, uh, every boat, you, you never see this from the outside of a boat, but in every fishing boat, in every commercial fishing boat, down where the, the part of it below the water goes like this. There's something in the bottom of that boat called the ballast. And the old fishermen just used to go along the seashore and find the biggest rocks they could find, the best rock. They wanted the best rock they could find. The biggest and the best rocks. And they would get those rocks, and they'd put them down in that part of the boat, and make it the heaviest part of the boat. So no matter what was happening up on top, up on the deck of that boat, you knew that the ballast of those rocks in the center would keep you steady if you knew how to navigate the wind. And so God calls us to this, in the storms of life. Who are we? What do we want to do? How are we going to do it? That's not something that we discover when we're just 30 or 40 or 50 or 60. And I'm not going to tell you which one I am. Because I'm kind of amazed that I'm here so fast. But it is what we discover in this moment. In this breath, I decide who I am, what I'm going to do, And how I'm going to do it because I can say personally that from the age of 24 when I married a wonderful girl and in the number of years, you know what, I gave you all the numbers you need to figure this out, didn't I, (laughs) that the storms of life don't get easier. But the things that I learned at Lee made me stronger in the storms through the years. When we get to the half Torah portion, that's the prophets. Every week we read from the Torah and the prophets. And the Torah, the half Torah reading this week is from Isaiah chapter 54. And in Isaiah chapter 54, the prophet Isaiah speaks to these later storms that Israel is now going through. And he says in verse 9, This is like the storms that you're having today, even though they're thousands of years later. The storms that you're having today are like the waters of Noah to me. For as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more cover the earth, so I have sworn that I will not continue to be angry. I will not be angry with you, nor will I rebuke you. Though the mountains depart and the hills be shaken, my love will not depart from you. My covenant of peace will not be shaken, says Adonai, who has compassion on you. And then he speaks to you directly, afflicted one, storm-tossed, unconsoled. Behold, I set your stones in antimony, which means I set your stones in beautiful colors I lay your foundations with sapphires. I make your pinnacles like rubies, your gates like crystal, and all the walls of precious stone. All your children will be taught by Adonai. Your children will have great shalom. When we understand who we are, we may be in an afflicted, storm-tossed place right now, but the Lord says that you may feel like you're a ship out in sail on a storm, and you don't know where the wind is blowing, but you know you've got the ballast in the bottom of your boat, you know that as long as you can read the wind, as long as you can understand the way the wind blows, as long as you don't try to control the wind, but as long as you learn how to move with the wind, you know you're going to make it through. And that's why he says to these same folks at the end of our prophets reading in Isaiah 55, And the result is the same as Noah. He says the very same word. He says, yo. Now, I like yo better than "ho." I moved from Maine to Tennessee and lived in Atlanta for 30 years. I think I'm just going to leave it right there. Yo, everyone who thirsts, Come. Everybody say, come. Come to the water. water. You who have no money, come. Come. Oh, some of you are getting it now. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Come, I've got everything that you need. The, The person who has too much water... Noah, God says to the person with too much water, come. To the person who has no water, God says to the person with no water, come. To the person who has too much, God says, come. To the person who has nothing, God says, come. Come. Why do you spend money for what is not bread, your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen, Shema, listen intently, diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come. Everyone say, come. Come. Listen so that your soul, your nephesh may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the trustworthy loyalty, chesed. The the love of God to David, Damien, that last song that you sang, there's probably not a better song around than that because Hodu Adonai Ketov is the number one song that is sung in all the dedications of the tabernacles and the temples in all of the history of Israel. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. And that's why in the holidays, beloved, we praise the Hallel every day. This is why Psalm 113 says, Blessed be the name of Adonai forever. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of Adonai is to be praised. Some of you know what this is about. The name of Adonai is to be praised. This is why Psalm 114 says, Judah, praise became God's sanctuary. Israel, the place of struggle became his dominion who turned the rock into a pool and the hadrock into streams of water. This is why Psalm 115 says, Lola nu Adonai, Lola nu, not to us, O Lord, not to us be the glory, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. This is why in our Hillel, in Psalm 116, it says, Nuvish nashi, return to your rest, your soul. And he begins to speak to himself in this psalm, it's so intimate. He says, Return to your rest, O my soul. For the Lord has been good to you. He has delivered your soul from death. He has delivered your eyes from tears. And he has delivered your feet from stumbling. This is why in Psalm 117 and why we're here tonight and why I'm so happy to have Lee family here. I'm the old uncle that went away (laughs) and just got an opportunity to come home for a minute. And this is why in Psalm 117 it says, Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let all the peoples of the earth praise him, for he is good to us and his love endures forever. Hallelujah. And the very last song of the Hallel in Psalm 118, and the one that is read every Sukkot Feast of Tabernacles to get ready to welcome the Messiah, is Hodu Ladonai Kito. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. Forever, And that's why King David said, let all the nations clap their hands. How about if we do that together tonight as Israel and all nations? Let's clap our hands in praise to him. In our new covenant section, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. You know, we've got our storms that we're dealing with. It's tough. I've got a friend who's a biochemist. He's got a PhD in biochemistry. He, uh, he works in Boston. He's from Boston. He couldn't help the Red Sox out, so I'm glad he didn't get a degree in sports management. And I sent him this text message uh, this afternoon. I said, and he's just a good friend of mine. And I said, I'm seeking your expertise, chemical-wise. I have three major events due in the next 72 hours. What do you recommend for optimum short-term cognitive brain function with limited sleep? I have plenty of recovery time after. Others may need this too. Is there anybody tonight who understands that at all? And so he says, oh, of course. He said, I would, he's got a PhD in biochemistry. I would recommend getting in some exercise. (laughs) My friend, I asked you for chemicals. (laughs) (laughs) I recommend getting in some exercise before you are sleep deprived. For me, that's the best thing for increasing mental bandwidth, energy, and focus for a couple days span. Even just a 15 to 20 minute walk can be a good recharge if you're already on low sleep. Okay, let me go on to the next thing. Second text He says, You might be drinking more coffee than usual. Did I say anything about coffee? Because I learned that the best thing to do before you go into some big test is to drink a Coca-Cola about 30 minutes before you get in there. You might be drinking more coffee than usual, so I recommend L-theanine. It can help reduce stress and anxiety and help you sleep. Thank you, my friend. I asked for real chemicals. <laughs> and he gives me a link to these 120 vegetarian caps. At least he knows that I eat vegetarian. Listen, it's just the easiest thing to do in a Jewish lifestyle, just eat vegetarian. (laughs) He gives me one other thing. He says, this article summarized Andrew Huberman's brain supplements. His list is at the end of the article, and he sends me the list of natural brain supplements. If you don't know the Huberman Lab yet, anybody here know the Huberman Lab? Yes, we got one guy here. He's gonna live to 120. Get in touch with Andrew Huberman. He's a professor of biochemistry at Stanford University, and I listen to his stuff. But listen, I didn't ask for just the supplements. Uh, He talks about how these supplements are also still good for your heart, brain supplements that are good for your heart. Listen, if I only had a brain. (laughs) The Torah and the prophets and the writings always lead us to the credibility of Yeshua. Because even Paul says the Torah will lead people to Messiah. So how does Yeshua fit into all of this? Yeshua continues to uphold, fulfill, and continues to complete the Torah of walking with God in the storms of life. How do we live in a world where people are so focused on themselves and attention for themselves? And he brings us to this wonderful prayer in our Brit Hadashah readings this week in Matthew chapter 6. But you, when all the people are trying to get attention, that didn't start with whatever the new name is for the social platform. I probably don't know it, but I know a few. It was going on in Yeshua's age. They all wanted attention on the street corners. They all wanted the likes. He says, but you, when you pray, go into your inner room. Come into your inner room, and when you've shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret. Know who you are. Know what you've got to do. Know how you want to do it. He will reward you there. And when you are praying, do not babble on Noah's Torah portion ended with the Tower of Babel. It didn't get better, even after a fresh start do not babble on and on like the pagans for they think they will be heard because of their many words do not be like them for your father knows what you need even before you ask him therefore pray in this way our father in heaven holy is your name your kingdom come Everyone say, come. Come. Everybody say, come, Yeshua, come. Come, Messiah, come. come. Your Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I didn't choose this for this passage tonight because I knew Lee was gonna be here. I didn't know you guys were gonna be here tonight. But how wonderful that we get to pray this prayer together tonight. Yo. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. Thank you, French Harrington. I was studying this a little bit a while ago because it's so hard to forgive. It's so hard to let those feelings go when people have hurt you. It's the most difficult thing we deal with is the pain of life. And yet, the Hebrew concept of forgiveness is not forgetting your feelings. It's releasing them to God. Release them to God. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. When we forgive people, we don't forget the feelings, and we certainly don't trust them probably for a long time. But what we do is release them to the justice and the judgment of God. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And great manuscripts say, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. God says, come. Come to us, and now we say to him, come with all of your power and all of your fullness in our lives. Let's pray. Let's stand together and pray, shall we? At the end of the sermon on the mountain in chapter 7, Yeshua talks about a storm. Damien, you guys can come, please. Begin playing if you don't mind. Therefore, he says at the end, it's amazing at the end of Yeshua's, his name means he saves. The Hebrew concept of salvation is certainly about a deliverance from something bad, but it's more. The Hebrew concept of salvation is wide open place. He brings us into wide open places from this constriction that he feels. And he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it did not fall for the foundation had been built on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Now when Yeshua had finished these words, the crowds were astounded at His teaching. For He was teaching them not as one having mental authority and not as their Torah scholars, what makes a good Torah scholar? is the one who says to his students, I'm with you to the very end, come and follow me. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And tonight, if you're in the midst of the storms of your life and you're looking for a rock, Yeshua is that rock tonight. If you'd like to take this moment and say, Yeshua, I come. And now you're coming to me. I pray that you'll pray that prayer tonight. It'll be the best prayer you ever made. And now may the words of my mouth in the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Every day in the standing prayer in a Jewish lifestyle, we praise God 18 times. And at the end of every time we do it, we quote that verse. Edwin Tull taught us that 40 years ago. And I'm glad it's still happening.
0: Shabbat Shalom. Saturday mornings at 11. God bless and shalom.